Welcome back to another week of Money of Mine. Today we're getting into uranium, taking a bit of a deep dive into Boss Energy and their latest update on track for December quarter production. We've also got Allcorp, they've coming out with their quarterly and we're going to also do a bit of a deep dive into the Zaga Gold Project. Now that Tanzania is back open for business, this is Money of Mine, Monday 24th of April. And gentlemen, this is our first semi-mobile recording. It is indeed, Matty. Mr. Ricciardo is joining us from his hometown, the thriving metropolis of Kalgoorlie. <laughs> I'm live from the centre of mining itself, mate. This is where it all happens. Well, we are, there was actually a bit of a personal request put, put through by uh, Patriot Battery Metals for the corporate directory. Since we're interviewing the Savi, they said the only way they'll do it is if uh, Travis is in Kalgoorlie at least 600 <laughs> k's away. So, <laughs> I'm very disappointed I won't be there to, um, to uh, say hello to Blair. Um, I've got I've got a gift for him, bit of a bit of a bit of a um, bit of a spoiler there for the money miners. But I do have a gift for Blair. I won't be able to give it to him in person, unfortunately. But Maddie, JD, hopefully you can pass it on to him. That sounds good. I reckon Travi might be testing the water first, Kalgoorlie, and next up Bali. I reckon. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> I think I can. My uh, this gift, my uh, smart ass detector, is going off the, <laughs> off the radar, off the bloody charts at the moment. I'm, uh, at least we've got the opportunity. If it gets heated, I can just hang hang Trav up just to, just to smooth it over. Uh, it should be a good chat though. It's going to be good. Excited, We're very yeah. excited. Very excited about it. Mate, so. you better not use that mute button on me. I'll be very disappointed. <laughs> JD. Pre-record your questions, Trav. Yeah, well, I was thinking <laughs> that as a bit of a safety net, but anyway, we'll see how we go. It's going to be good fun. Tra- JD, how was your weekend, Cobber? It was good, mate. Just prepping, keeping keeping everything in a line Getting so we can the hit zone. the ground running again. Yes, very good. So we sound like we know what we're talking about. Well, we've got to smash this out because we're uh, me and JD are chucking the RMs on heading into the city. That's to do, it. Uh, at the Blair Way interview, the Savi, which will come out uh, tomorrow. Anzac, that'll be the Anzac Day release as uh, we will not be – the markets are closed. So it works in well. So let's get into it. Boss Energy, BOE, on track to reach December quarter production at the Uranium Project in South Australia. And I will admit, I know bugger all about uranium. So, lads, I'm looking forward to you both enlightening me and the money miners about the uranium sector and boss in particular. Uh, Kalgoorlie dial-in man, Ricciardo, give us the goss, mate. What's the insight? I've assumed your position on the table too, just letting you know. Uh, excuse, Matty. Um, well, the news today is boss, they came out with an announcement confirming to the market that they're on track for production in the December quarter at their Honey Moon Uranium project in South Australia. Um, and w- whenever I see a- an announcement come out right before you know their quarterly is going to come out, I'm always a little bit curious. It is a bit of a strange one not to just bundle this announcement with their quarterly, which there's only four more days of quarterly reporting left. And so boss are expected to you know put some more uh, feedback out to the market in, in just a few days' time. And it-, it doesn't feel like a massive announcement to... To um to warrant a separate drop to the ASX, so that you know whenever I see something like that, I, I do I do want to do a bit of a, a deep dive, and, and I can't I can't quite piece together any glaring reason why they might have chosen to put out a separate release in this one. Um, however, let's we should talk about the project because it is pretty interesting. Um, the big piece of this announcement is just that they've 
confirmed that they're fully funded to production and they currently have $103 million of cash on hand at the 31st of March. So, you know, this announcement also follows just within the last month, Boss um, appointed White Buck as the chairperson, non-exec chair to their board. Um, and he had previous roles at, at both McCarthy River and Langer Heinrich and adds a bit of uh, uranium operational expertise at the board level there. So I think you know there is one or two quite interesting things to talk about here in relation to, to BOSS. And the first thing I'll point out to the money miners is that you know spot uranium prices at the moment are currently about US 52 bucks per pound. And the feasibility study for Honeymoon was done at a 60 buck per pound uranium price, and that penned about an 11-year mine life for the project and a $412 million NPV. Now, why, is, why, why, did, why does that catch my eye? Well, the uranium price is lower than in the study, and yet um, BOSS's market cap is about twice as much as the NPV of the project, um, and that's that's despite the fact that you've still got ramp up risk. Like this thing hasn't actually started production yet; it's still in construction, and we all know developers have massive ramp up risk, which which isn't actually factored into the NPV of a project. So that's pretty unusual to see see something like that. Um, and I think when you dive into it, I can identify four reasons why I think Boss's market cap right now is about double the NPV of the Honeymoon project. The first one that I can see is that brokers are actually forecasting uranium prices to move upwards over the next few years. Consensus long-term uranium prices are about $65 per pound US. Um, and I think in a different episode, we should definitely unpack what the market dynamics that are, that are causing that. The second thing is that the market actually appears to be factoring in that there is resource upside here at Honeymoon. There's a lot of material that's not actually included in that study, um, and hence, you know, the ability for for Boss to extend their mine life beyond that initial 11 years seems to be pretty real. Um, the third thing is that Boss they they can they have the potential to increase their EFS production nameplate capacity currently at you know 2.45 million pounds per annum to the company's 3.3 million pounds per annum mineral export permit. And um, so there's, you know, there's upside on the throughput perspective. And, and the fourth thing to point out is that the company actually, you know, holds close to $100 million worth of physical uranium themselves. So chuck that in when you're, when you're calculating the sum of the parts value of the company. So lads, what's the take on uranium? JD, you got much info on it globally, the, the consensus? Nuclear energy and uranium is just a really fascinating space and it's definitely uh, an area I reckon we should get an expert to, to come and chat us through. If you just search nuclear power plants, nuclear energy and these sorts of things, some of the hits you'll get lately, uh, Germany shut down their last three power reactors. That's been a, a long, long, long time coming. They, uh, put, they were meant to close last year, those three but they were extended due to the, the energy supply crunch that Germany had given the war in Ukraine. So it's interesting, a quote from the energy minister there saying nuclear power 
and the is ultimately unmanageable. The risks are just unmanageable for them. So Greenpeace marked this as a day of celebration there. But on the flip side of that, Greta Thunberg said that this was just a huge mistake. So them going head to head on on an issue or on a topic they're normally firmly on the same side of is kind of interesting. And this all happened in the same week that we saw Finland open another reactor. In the past couple of months, we've seen France say they want to extend the life of all of their reactors and they want to build some more. China wants to build some more. Japan are looking to build new reactors. And given they had that uh, disaster in 2011, it's just a, a super divisive topic, which you can see just from those headlines. So it's something I think we should get an expert to come have a chat about. Right, next up. Jeez, uh, uranium, you sparked me interest there, JD. I'm going to do that. Might be tonight's uh, YouTube and on the on the dunny. Your I next think. rabbit hole. Huh? Yeah, I think so. Now let's get on to Orcorp. O R R. So their quarterly's out today. So for those who don't know, they've got the Nianzaga Gold Project uh, in Tanzania, uh, planning to produce 234,000 ounces per annum over 11 years. So, JD, uh, rapidly becoming our African expert, I feel. Not too sure about Ten. that, but we'll, um, we'll unpack well, this one. Well, there's three of us, mate. You haven't got much competition. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> there's, uh, as you said the other week, head back uh, with peak rare earths and there was... Uh, evolution was Energy. Ev- evolution Energy, yeah. so the uh, government signings for essentially Tanzania back open for business. So yeah, how's this right. uh, impact on Allcorp, JD? What's happening over there, Colin? Yeah, so the, the company's come out with their quarterly and like you said, the Nyangzaga Gold Project. Um, they highlight in the in the first dot point of that announcement an NPV of a bit over 900 million US that somewhat exaggerated, which I think we'll get into later because that's just flashing through the, the current spot gold price at 2,000 US as well as being done at a 5% discount rate. So into the the Tanzania aspect of it, like we touched on last week and you just mentioned, Tanzania is sort of opening itself back up for business after five or so years in the doldrums a bit. So they've got 84% of this project, exact same as all those other companies we just mentioned. So the government has 16% interest that's free carried. And a bit of interesting action on the register as well. Tim Gordon now holds 5% of the company. I like he needs any bloody more. <laughs> He's got to do something with that money. Yeah, I suppose. Nick Georgetta, twelve percent. Who's oh, Nick Georgetta? Uh, he's been in and around the the Capricorn guys for quite a while. Ah, right. I think he actually started the Diggers and Dealers Conference as well. So he's pretty well known in the in the Australian mining community. And Oz Super also hold twelve percent of the company. So we'll get into the the key next steps. There wasn't too much of note in this quarterly, but it's an interesting company to to unpack. So. Funding is the huge next step for this company. So they've got a pre-production capex of just under 500 million US. And this was initially supposed to be wrapped up in quarter one of this calendar year, but they've now flagged that they'll wrap up funding by the second half of 2023. They'd also mentioned late last year that they had sort of non-binding indicative proposals for 400 million US. So we'll sort of see how that plays out. I'm sure they're going to the same institutions and trying to firm up those commitments now. The company has also discussed metal streaming and royalty finance, which is essentially selling a portion of your revenue or your production down the track for upfront capital. And it has upsides and downsides. It's obviously non-dilutive because you're not selling any more shares. But on the on the flip side of that, it does reduce the upside in the case where the gold price runs. So 
Orcorp, given where it's situated, the size of it, the deposit, the the grade, the mining method, draws a lot of comparisons with WAF. So WAF, their initial project was Sambrado in Burkina Faso. They produced first gold, I believe, in quarter one of 2020. So the the similarities have um, drawn a lot of people just to, to line them up side by side and sort of see where could Orcorp be, say, in two or three years' time, when they're producing so you can't uh take that all at face value if you look at where the gold price stood when WAF first came out with their uh, final uh, investment decision and where that ended up when the company started pouring gold there was there was a huge upside i think it jumped about 50 percent over that two or three year period so another thing to sort of bear in mind when you look at that comparison with WAF is that WAF did it with 80 percent debt 20% equity, which is it's a pretty uh, steep amount of debt. It it really relies on things going right. You need to be pouring that gold, paying that da- that debt down on time, so those uh, interest payments don't cripple the company down the track. So I would assume that uh, Allcorp would go with a slightly reduced debt capacity, perhaps in the region of 70, 30, or 75, 25, and that would mean they're issuing roughly 500 million Aussie and raising. $200 million uh, in through the issue of new shares. So just bearing in mind that the company is now capped at, I think, $170 million. So of course, we'll also have to see what impact the royalties that we just mentioned have on that sort of funding arrangement, whether that's just sort of smaller slice or if that's something a bit more substantial. So just doing a bit of a back of the envelope capital intensity measure just dividing uh, your capex by the the throughput as another comparison between WAF and Orcorp and another company we saw last week come out with a uh, a study Capricorn Metals just makes for kind of interesting reading. So WAF come out at US $103 million per million tonnes of throughput. Orcorp 119 million tonnes. They're sort of planning to have a, a 4 million tonne per annum operation versus WAF at 2 million tonnes, I believe. So 100, 119 million bucks per million tonne of yeah, throughput. Yeah, yep. that's right. Yep, for Orcorp. Yep. And looking at Capricorn with their proposed Mount Gibson project, that comes out in US dollar terms of $45 million. Now, that was adding the numbers that they had for pre-production mining as well as the CapEx that they announced and also bearing in mind that they'll be producing on average 150,000 ounces per annum, so slightly less than the other two miners. But – I think it really just goes to show, again, we keep coming back to Capricorn's capital efficiency and just the benefits of them doing this this in-house and how effective they've been at doing it. But it's just a sort of interesting way to line up these prospective uh, gold producers, the, the developers, and see how well they're and how effectively they're spending that money. So just to sort of wrap on Orcorp, securing that funding is really, really key. So the Tanzanian government already has 16% free carried. So for investors new to the space, that means they don't have to chip in any of the the capital expenditure. They're also taking a 6% royalty. So it it does make it quite hard for for the financing to really stack up for Orcorp. So we'll see see how that plays out and what sort of uh, funding arrangements they get over the next, um, next six months. I think that's right, JD. I mean, I think I think you've adequately touched on that. You know, financing is the the big next step for this company, and um, I think there are some pretty, you know, important reasons 
why the financing piece might be more challenging than you first look when you just take a glance at that, you know, glossy US $900 million NPV. Um, and, and so I think, you know, look, let's, let's unpack it here. Um, and I'll start by saying, like, I genuinely like this project and I think in due course, this will become a mine. But when you look at, when you look at those headline numbers, you know, something doesn't quite compute. And, um, and the first thing that really grabs my eye is that NPV 5% discount rate, right? Like you can't be doing that in 2023. Uh, you know, you could probably get away with a 5% discount rate if it was uh, zero interest rate environments again, which it's definitely not. We've got inflation, interest rates are higher. And, and only if it was Newcrest building a new mine in Western Australia. So like, you know- Because you're really saying below eight, don't you? Oh, mate, like eight's the, like, the lowest. Yeah, I mean, I think you've got, I think, you know, Batty, I think this project's got to be a minimum of 12% discount rate. And the reason is, um, you know, this is a single asset developer building a mine in Africa, in a country that has a history of hostile political regime towards mining. I mean, you can't be using a 5% discount rate here. Hey, Trav, Um, do you want to just give a quick quick little definition of what the discount rate is and how it's used to impact? Uh, calculate the MPV and what's low, what's high. Yeah, the way I mean, the way the simple way to think about it is like um, a project will have a series of cash flows over the life of its mine, and the discount rate is ultimately just the rate at which you are, you know, discounting the value of um, cash flows that are out into the future per year, um, and that sort of that that number will compound. And so, the higher the discount rate, the Less the lower the weight of a cash flow that is far out in the mine plan, and the higher the weight of a cash flow that is near in the mine mine plan, and that really matters in this project. Like that, that and, I, and I'll touch on why. Um, you know, look, the, the company they put out this eighty-three page DFS eight months ago, and there wasn't a single chart or table that shows the project's NPV um, sensitizing for different discount rates. None. They're just five percent across the board. Sensitivities on other things but not discount rate. Um, and, you know, like I want to see the, the post-tax NPV of this project at a 12% discount rate. So, so and and look, let's look at the other, the numbers, right? So Orcop, they have this, they call it a short payback period of 3.7 years. That's a long time for project payback. So when you, when we talk about, you know, financiers having to come in and, and debt fund the, the project, Absolutely. But financiers, they need to know that the capital is going to be repaid. They're like, you know, soon they're, they're looking for, you know, 12 months all the way out to 2.5 years maximum, usually as a good rule of thumb in order to provide, you know, a, a project finance facility. And what's like, what's really happening here, the, this super low discount rate is sort of concealing the fact that the economics aren't superb. And that's why you have this mediocre 25% IRR at you know 1750 per ounce gold price and a mediocre payback period of 3.7 years. So the driver of that like as I see it it's actually there's two things that are driving that. The first is you've probably heard on the street that it's an upside down ore body <laughs> and and um you know like l- take a look at this chart from from the DFS. Um YouTube viewers will be able to see it. So what what you can see here is they've actually got to move a lot of ore before they get to the high grade stuff. And you can see on this chart in year six there, the waste is so minimal and, and, and the ore is you know relatively high. So you, what a project financier really wants to see is they want to see that in year one 
They want they want early payback by getting to the high grade early. In this case, the high grade comes far later on and they've got to move a lot of ore to get there first, which is a lot of cost and hence you have that high payback period. And the second, the second reason, the second thing going on here is like the economic regime in Tanzania cuts a lot out of the economics here. 16% free carried interest to the government, a 6% royalty to the government, and another 1.3% in royalties. That's 23.3% chipped off the revenue line. And that that that's a lot, right? That, that hurts. And you so, convert that to what's chipped off the profit, oh, that would be massive. considerable. That's off the revenue. Yeah, yeah absolutely. An interesting comparison as well with with WAF, what we were talking about earlier on the the sort of upside down ore body. So WAF had had the opposite, and they had their highest producing years in the first couple of years, and that led to that payback period being I think under under two years, and they got you know well over two hundred thousand ounces out in those first couple full years before it sort of dropped off. So their their first six years had a much much higher average ounces produced in comparison to the later years of that mine life. So it just highlights again how um, how important getting those those cash flows early, like you were saying, Trav, is for for a project and for hitting that payback period. Uh, now I wanna I wanna add on to this and this will tie in with our Galena chat the other week. So let's look at say Orcorp projects like this that are looking for finance from a retail investor perspective, because as you said, they're going to be mixtures of debt and uh, debt and equity to raise this money. So let's say it is 30% equity and you're a retail investor. You're going to be in the exact same position as like the Galena retail shareholders, for instance. Like the retail, uh, the entitlement will most like, could only be available to institutional investors. So if you're a retail investor in projects like this from here on in, Whereas the, there's a lot of there's a lot of risk. There's not much upside, and there's potential to get diluted even further, and the risk of delays. What do you boys think about that from a retail perspective? I think the risks stand the same for institutions as they do for the for the retail investor. You can probably be a pretty good bet to say that whatever price the the raising is done this year, there's no guarantee that the share price isn't going to dip below that in the the intervening two years before they actually build and start pouring gold so there will be that development risk harping back to the Lasson curve again and the and the new logo and there there'll be opportunities for investors that think they can you know appropriately assess the risks and you know judge manage, management's ability to to get the company from being a you know an explorer to developer to producer what about you what about you trav investing in uh, companies like this during this stage yeah, like so. So the catalyst here for the, I mean, the, what the company would optimally do here is is lock in um, project finance and and then and then plug away to the equity markets for the rest. And um, but the big challenge is actually going to be teeing up the financiers to actually you know provide an adequate debt facility um, that you know in, in, ensures the whole thing can come together. Just given. Given that mine schedule and the way that the the ore comes out in the long payback period, debt financiers are going to have to get pretty comfortable. And in order to get pretty comfortable, I imagine they're going to, you know, apply a high interest rate, which means the real cost of capital is going to be a lot higher than five percent. Um, so, and and look, in a high gold price environment, like you can you can get away with it. I mean, there's ways you you can structure financial instruments in order to ensure that you get a higher gold price on on those early cash flows, and that makes the whole thing work. And I do think eventually this will become a mine, but let's be honest about 
um, what the what the the real value of the project is, and not use a, a stupid five percent discount rate. Yep, beauty boys, good stuff. Uh, let's get into the other news because we've got to. We're on the clock today. Oh, before we do, how do you bit a lot of feedback from the the Galena interview? Some good, some bad. Hot, some infuriated shareholders on hot copper. Uh, we've been we we're nearly we we're accused of going too easy compared to then we're on the other end of the spectrum going too hard on Patreon. Well, how would you boys? Uh, how do you think we went on that one? What do you think? Let's. Uh, I'm keen to discuss it. I think. Personally, I think we did a good job. I think, you know, we're sort of finding that balance with what investors sort of think. But obviously, we um, didn't have that same anger that existing shareholders have had. But I thought we went about it the right way and we asked the right questions and you can sort of take take value at what you think Tony's responses were. I think we just posed the questions well for him and really differentiated ourselves from any other media outlet. We're not getting paid by Tony to come on and interview him. We're asking the harder questions, which you, you won't see at other mining media businesses. Yeah, very much so. I think, yeah, I think maybe we maybe we went a bit, maybe we'll bring a bit of mongrel back to the next one. What do you reckon, Trav? I you're, the, you're the Jack Russell. Uh, no, no, I think JD got it, got it right there. You know, there, there's probably a couple of questions where I think we could have dug in a bit deeper. And I think we probably let him have too much of a floor at the front end. Um, and it felt a little bit promotional at the start. You know, no one really cares about the project overview. They were pretty interested in the ramp up issues and we could have got to that a bit quicker. There you go. Oh, well, we will find the line. She's uh, oh, oh, My theory is if everyone's a little bit pissed off with us, that is the line. Because if one side's too happy, that means you're too skewed one way. Yeah, that's it. All right, let's get on to the other news. Uh, Wailu, they're over 50%. They're at 51.4% in their Mincor shareholding now, and they're urging minority shareholders to hurry the bloody hell up and accept by 8th of May. Now, FMG, they produced their first wet concentrate from their Iron Bridge project, and they're trading down 3.7% today. You've got South 32 down 8% today. Released their quarterly, and their group of production was down due to adverse weather and other temporary impacts. Uh, you've got Gold Road, G-O-R, so they're trading flat after producing 82,000 ounces for the quarter. That's on a 100% basis at their Greer project, which is their 50-50 JV with Goldfields. Uh, you've got Greatland Gold. They reported 18 metres at 22 grams per tonne. Uh, nice little hit, but it is Bloody deep at 924 metres. Don't forget that little bit. Now, this is at their Rundle Tenement, which is 20k southeast of their flagship Haveron project, which is up near Telfer. So, Trav. That's real deep, you, mate. That's very that deep. Is bloody, that That's is very bloody deep. deep. If you're going mate. to put that on a scale of zero to bloody deep, that is getting pretty close That's to very bloody deep. deep. Mate, one, one, more, one more thing, completely unrelated to Greatland Gold is um, a bit of a, a gripe of mine. I really do hate it when CEOs just scrub prior work experience from their LinkedIn and about me sections of the uh, the website. Unrelated. And, uh, just uh, okay. D D Y O R people. Do your own. Have we got any of those? I didn't do proper DD on you guys. You haven't scraped any little work experiences. <laughs> dig a bit deeper, mate. Or criminal records. Good to see. I'll do. I'll check. Uh, Geo Pacific GPR. They completed their entitlements office offer, which is uh, pen to help evaluate options for their Woodlark Gold project, which uh, hit a bit of a brick wall last year. So, uh, lads, thank you very much, Trav. Thanks for chiming in on. 
from Kalgoorlie. Cheers, mate. J- Thanks, JD. J- JD. On to the next one. I feel like now that I've taken Trav's place, like our eye, there's a good a energy. A lot of eye contact here. Good <laughs> energy between you and I just feel that your shoulders dropped to have like relaxed you. It's like a little distant massage. I've I think you. I think you just have that impact on people, mate. Very good. <laughs> See if we got it on Blair this army. <laughs> Righto, Trav. Well, Ciao soon, fellas. T- talk to you soon. Cheers, Cheers guys. Have a good one, Money Miners. Hooroo. Hooroo. The information contained in this episode of Money of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation and needs.